Welcome back, everybody. It's Encounter with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get into our Bible study. Super looking forward to it this morning. Uh, before we do, we're going to have another question for our quiz. And then we're also going to look at what you had to say about the first half of the show. All right, our next question for the quiz. No scripture, according to Second Peter chapter 1, came about because of the prophet's own what? 0491-064-669 is the number two call or text if you know the answer to that one. If you do, you will go in the draw to win Snake Bites and Shipwrecks, the board game. Now, I've heard that this has been incredibly competitive. People are really gunning to win this one. We've got yes. people attempting, you know, every single question. They're just like getting in, getting in. So make sure that you get in with an answer. You only need one answer. Having a record number of participation on this particular prize. Yeah, people want to play this board game. You know what? But I think it's because we told them. I want them, to play this board game. I think it's because we told them, like, if they win it, then we'll come over and play it with them. So they, they just want to spend time it's with the, us. It's the Lyle Lawson factor right there. Uh, and I totally get it. I'd want to spend time with me as well. So listen, 0491-064-669. You're right. That's, think about it. Why do I do radio? Like I've got these headphones on. I've got my own voice projecting into my ears. I love it. It's <laughs> 0491-064-669 is the number to call. And again, that question was, no scripture according to Second Peter and chapter 1 came about because of the prophet's own what? Okay, if you know the answer, number to call 0491-064-669 and it will get you into the running. Mm. Braden says, Ew, green bananas makes your <laughs> mouth feel like you swallowed a desert. <laughs> kind of true. I first read this and thought it said dessert and I'm thinking, what? I don't get this. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, a desert, which is true. Um, and by the way, porridge is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's just for you, Lawson. Uh-huh. Um, Glad you feel that way. Yes. Okay, so another one here says, that story about Victoria makes me so angry. Mm. It is, as you say, child abuse. My cousin, when he was 25 years old with four kids, was not able to get a vasectomy because he was too young. So how can a child be deemed mature enough to go through chemical castration really? under the diagnosis of a teacher? I'm starting to be a teacher and I wouldn't feel qualified to talk on a child's health. The medical community needs to dig their heels in with this and protest this. The only way this world is going to be fixed is when God comes back and I hope he comes back soon. It's interesting. Uh, I got a, I don't know, I don't remember what age I was when I got a vasectomy, but I was very, I was quite young because we had our children early mm. and we were finished having children. It's like, yep, we'll do this, make life simple. And uh, I was very, very strongly dissuaded from doing so mm. because of my age. Mm. And it wasn't an issue of consent. It was just an issue of, but what if you change your mind? Mm. And I'm like, no, nah, we're cool. You know, we're, we're good. We're going to leave it at this. Mm. Um, and so, but yeah, interesting observation. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, more text messages here. Uh, resistant starch. The solution for the world's cancer is green bananas and Lyle's porridge. Lyle, I am totally open to eating your porridge. If it's if it's that good, oh, it is. Actually, you have no idea. Mon came in here and tried to feed me porridge it like just, just a couple disgusting. of weeks ago, and just disgusting. I had some by like. I, I already don't like porridge. Nobody knows how to make porridge. That's and the then Mon made me some and I didn't eat it. I'm it like, like, listen, I'm sorry. But if your porridge is really that good. Oh, it's just epic. Okay. Tomorrow morning. 
Okay, HIV, another gift to the world from our friendly researchers of the New World Order. Oh. That's from Ruffy. Uh, the transgender law, if the Victorian people don't rise against this law, they deserve all they get. Surely the lawyers of Victoria have children. Are they not concerned? There's mm. a lot of them down there who are. An Australian wine fund should be made to fight this law. Sooner or later, it will affect all states. I'll be the first one to donate to the fund. Children belong to God, not to these satanic laws. Hate to be in Daniel's so shoes true. in the judgment unless he repents. It's, um, so on that, there's an organisation that is that does have a fund to fighting this at the moment. It's called Binary. Um, so if you go to binary.org.au, I know nothing about them. So this is not an official endorsement from me or anyone else. I'm just saying that they have a fund where they are, uh, are fighting this particular law and you can go and do your own research on that. Mm. Uh, the Hebrew language and contextual times, the original Chinese writings were based on the creation story and the Bible story, the original Chinese alphabet, hieroglyphs, mm. were based on the creation story and the Bible story. It seems the original Hebrew language is the same. Very interesting on the historical um, of the names of the Bible. God is the master of languages. In fact, he created them at the destruction of the Tower of Babel. Absolutely. And languages are just awesome. They are. They make our world so much more interesting mm. than if everybody just spoke the same language. Yeah, that's right, Lars. So how many languages do you speak? One. Because I am not an interesting person. I am a boring person. A connoisseur. I love travelling around the world. I love hearing all the different languages. I love I love listening to little kids speak different languages because mm. it's just like, wow, that's kind of how do they how do they yeah. even how do they even manage that? Yeah. Whereas of course they listen to us and go like, that's pretty weird. Mm. I, I I am disappointed that Australia, I think, is probably the only country in the world where you grew up with one language. Mm. I think everywhere else in the world, pretty much, you grow up with more than one language. Yeah, or maybe the UK as well. I don't know. Help us out. If you come from a country where your education system raised you with just one language, then... Well, like, know. we have language classes in Australia. Well, like, I never I, went through language I, classes. I did Japanese I at my school. Like, other places do French and whatnot. But it's not a very, like, from what I see from, say, the United States, they have a prolonged time of they learning Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. Yes. Whereas here it's like, I did it in year seven and that was it. Yeah, well, the United States is almost dual language in that way. That's right. You mm. know, you've got to have Spanish and English. So, mm. to well, you don't have to, but it makes life better. But at the same time, like, I learned... Japanese in year seven to the point where I could like, you know, introduce myself, say where I'm from, like say a bunch of different words and all this stuff. Like I, 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 I actually did really well on my end of year test. Like I, I was like, got, I scored in like the 90% and, and my teacher was like, wow, like you've really got a thing for languages, but then never spoke Japanese again afterwards until recently. Now I just I hang spend, out with some Japanese. I people. hang out with Japanese people at uni, and I'm constantly saying like, "Oh, so how do you say cold, or how do you say this, or how do you say that?" Like that's how I've been learning, and it's it's good. There you go. So you got three languages. Is it? Well, I'm learning Hebrew at the moment as oh, well four, as, a, uh, as a part of my degree. Four so languages. I've got English, and then I've like can speak a bit of Spanish, and then I'm I'm learning Hebrew, and then look my Japanese. That's probably that's probably the order that it goes. Actually, it goes probably like the language I speak the most, obviously English, then Spanish, then like a, a little bit of Japanese, and then from that it's just like. At the f- end of your course, phrases. will your Hebrew overtake your Japanese? No, because well, maybe 
because you learn a lot of like in my course you learn a lot of vocab but it's more just being able to read it and know the letters translate it translate it rather than like being able to have a conversation with someone in hebrew whereas i can kind of walk up to someone and introduce myself and start you know how are you that kind of thing in japanese yep anyways all right, let's jump into our Bible study, and we're going to read about somebody who comes from the East. He may have come from China. Really? Or Japan. Really? The Bible says the East. They're East. They are East. Hmm. He could have been Chinese. We do not know. <laughs> it's unlikely. He was probably like Persian or something. <laughs> yeah. Who would know? <laughs> but the Bible says that he came from the East, and his name was Job. Man, we've been talking about him a bunch lately. Well, we kind of have because we've been talking about, you know, the crucible. Uh-huh. And if anyone was ever in a crucible, it was Job. It was him. And his story has been one that we have referenced a lot, even though our 20 million movement Bible study hasn't actually directly taken us there. Yes, it has. You just weren't here. Oh. We talked a bit about Job. Anyway. Anyways, we're going to be looking at him today. So. Okay, so let's summarize the story of Job very quickly as we get into our Bible study. Here you've got a situation where you've got this guy mm-hmm. who is... Fabulously wealthy. Just, you know, he's he's uh, the Jeff Bezos of the ancient world. Mm-hmm. He has a massive transport company. He's, he has a massive uh, pastoralist uh, company. Mm. Uh, he, he really is very, very significant. Has a lot of staff that are working for him. Has a large family and is a servant of God. And Satan turns up in heaven and... Uh, God asks Satan, "Why are you here?" There's a gathering of the, you know, the representatives of the universe are gathered there in heaven, and and God asks him this question: "Satan, what are you doing here?" And he's like, "Well, I've obviously come here to represent planet Earth. They don't have a representative because Adam is dead." Mm. Yeah, and then let's see what happens. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so he turns up there in heaven. He, of course, uh, you know, God asked him this question and Satan's like, I'm, I'm representative of planet Earth. And God's like, oh, okay, so you represent everybody down there. What about Job? You represent him? Mm. Satan's like, the only, the only reason that he serves you is because you give him stuff. You've just bought his loyalty. And this, this claim is made in front of the assembled representatives of the universe. And so there's a lot at stake here. Mm. If God messes up at this particular point, those representatives are going to go back to their planets, to their worlds, to wherever they have come from, and they are going to report on the fact that God is in the God is corrupt and is in the process of buying votes, mm. essentially. He's buying votes. And uh, that if God is buying votes and Satan has exposed him, then Satan's actually right. Mm-hmm. And so the allegiance of the universe is what is, 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 what is at stake here. But Job doesn't know this. You know, the same thing could be happening in heaven right now. You know, or a similar thing, I should say. A similar thing could be happening in heaven right now in relationship to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, your name could be coming up and Satan could be saying, you have purchased this particular person's allegiance by giving them stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. This is what Satan is called, the accuser of the brethren. He is always making accusations. But we would not know that. We would also not know just how much is at stake. 
Because we would not be able to see that there was a general council being in heaven. We would not be able to see that the representatives of the universe are there, the created, you know, the, the created heads of the of the of the worlds that God has created. We wouldn't be able to see any of that taking place. And then if bad things came our way, we would not know why. Mm. And what's significant with what happens to Job is that it is very clearly supernatural. This is not a natural process. If it happened as a, as, a, as a natural process, that would raise a lot of questions because whenever bad things happen, we always question. Yeah. We're always asking questions. Why God? Why, why, why did this happen? And we always look for meaning in it, mm. and we don't always find it. But in Job's case, it is obviously supernatural. Yeah. Because it all happens on one day. Mm. And all his pastoralist interests are wiped out in one day. All his transport interests are wiped out in one day. All of his staff are killed violently mm. in one day. Um, all of his children, children yeah. are killed violently in one day mm. by what we would term today in insurance terms an act of God. Mm. You know, a tornado hits their home, they're all gathered together for a party and a tornado hits and killed them all. Mm. And so it is a story that is absolutely horrific because Satan has made this accusation in heaven and Satan has said, ah, you know, um, you've just bought his loyalty, take away his stuff and he will curse you to your face. Mm. And God says, okay, you can take away his stuff. And what's interesting is that when he does... Satan only leaves Job's wife alive. Why do you think he spares Job's wife? <laughs> because she actively encourages, dissuades him from following God. Yes. Uh, he has an ally in this situation. He's like, well, don't kill that one because she's my... It seems like everybody else was a servant of God except for his wife, and his wife's mm. like, no, curse God and die. Mm. And Job's reply is, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mm. And this is what vindicates God's character because this is where the universe sees that God is a God of love and that Job does not serve God because God gave him stuff. Mm. But Job serves God in his wealth and in his poverty, in his health and in his sickness. Job is like, I will always serve God because I love God. Mm. And that's the story that is taken back then to the rest of the universe. Mm. Okay, so we've got uh, Bruce calling through right now. Uh, Bruce, welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah, just making that comment about Job, you know, back in those days, it's not the same now because Jesus has died and won the battle. So yes, that's right. It's not a matter of that universe, but but it still is, like you say, you know, our character and God's character, you know, and, and truly that's what people are looking at. And really, I think, you know, with the um, with God's people at the end, God's waiting for a people... You know that he can finish judgment, and they'll stand on the earth as Christ stood, without a carnal nature, and prove to the universe that it's safe to bring the human race back to heaven. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective there, Bruce. It um, you might raise a little bit of controversy on that one because I, I would say that we have a carnal nature, and that as having a carnal nature, we become partakers of the divine nature, and as a result of being partakers of the divine nature, we can overcome sin and we can live a righteous life. You know, I'm not going to question that in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I don't know that we will yeah, ever not, lose not, the. 
there. I'm not disputing that. Yeah, That's sure. true. But what I'm saying with the judgment, what we believe is Adventist, that the judgment will come with the living, you know? And when a person is judged who is living, well, then God takes their carnal nature away because they're judged, they're righteous. And so the carnal nature is taken. And so these people, especially when probation is closed, stand on this earth without a carnal nature because they've been judged and found righteous. They're holy and just. And so they stand here as Christ stood when he came to this earth. He was born of the Spirit. not He didn't have a carnal nature like we did. And um, and so and he showed the universe what a human being could do, you know, relying totally on God. And, th- and that's what, the, after probation, God's people will prove to the universe that actually humans can do it because he was the only one that did it, mm. you know. But th- then you'll have this race of people after probation is closed and they're wanting to kill us all and whatever, and yet we we don't sin. We stand for God because... We don't have that carnal nature to fall again, you know, and the devil can't use it. And because we all, like, like we all hate sin, you know, like, in a sense, this, this battle that we have, the old carnal nature rearing every now and again, you know, we take our eyes off Jesus and we fall. But, um, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just the way I sort of see it. No, it's an interesting perspective there, Bruce. And one of the things, you know, I, I guess the way that I, and maybe we're just having a disagreement on terminology, but mm. I would say that Jesus did come with a human nature mm. because he was tempted in all points like as we are. Yes. I, I would also say that our human nature remains until the return of Christ. I would also say that in our human nature, we are able to gain the victory over sin because the Bible says that there is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So there's no temptation out there that it is you know, impossible for us mm. to gain the victory over. Um, and I you know, will concur that you know, during the, once, the, once probation closes, we will be supernaturally mm. uh, preserved during that time period and that the righteous will stand mm. uh, before God during that time period. There's a, there's a few things there that you know, I, I don't have a problem with. I, I, I don't see our human nature disappearing mm. until we are glorified. That's right. And I don't, you know, the Bible says that that won't happen until the return of Christ. So yeah, maybe just a, maybe some, maybe, maybe we differ. I don't know. Mm. Or maybe we just differ on terminology, but, uh, we could probably do a fairly in-depth Bible study on that one. That's right. I know that like personally, I've, I've looked and done Bible studies with plenty of people, particularly on the second coming and what takes place. And it's, it's very clear in first Corinthians 15, you know, you get down to the, towards the end of the chapter from like verse 50 to verse 54. It's like at that moment in a twinkling in of the eye at the last trumpet, trumpet, you know, mortal, like corruptor will become incorruptible. Mortal will become immortal. That takes place when Jesus is coming back. And when we are translated, uh, or, you know, when he comes to, collect us, this kind of thing. But I think if we ever want an example of what it looks like to be perfect before and righteous before the throne of God, I think Job is the perfect place to look as we've been looking. It's like, okay, did Job, was Job a human? Yes. Was he a human like us? Yes. Do you have a human nature? Yes. Yeah, oh, what yeah. happened to my microphone? My <laughs> microphone, he had a human nature. He had a human nature, yes. Was he completely and utterly reliant on God in spite of the circumstances that he went through? Yes. And as a result, was he righteous? Yes. Yes. And it's like, oh, man, no matter what se- like period of time that I'm in, whether it's right now, whether it's during the judgment, whether it's right before Jesus comes back, or even after, no matter what <laughs> kind of nature I possess, 
the ultimate solution to overcoming sin is utter reliance on God. Absolutely. And, you know, Rafi's taken through to say, don't they stand as overcomes? Absolutely they stand as overcomes, but not in their own strength. Jesus Mm -hmm. says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes. And that's the key right there. Mm. Probation closes, intercession ceases, but Jesus doesn't go anywhere. Jesus will never leave you. You're never going to stand on your own. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Well, right now we are going to have our final clue for the quiz. Why was David originally sent for by King Saul? 0491-064-669. Why was David originally sent for, or you could say by King Saul or for King Saul? You know, what was his initial interaction with King Saul? What 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 took took place there? Why was David originally sent for for King Saul. 0491 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you'll go into the draw to win Snake Bites and Shipwrecks, our epic Bible board game that a lot of people are trying to gun for and win. So, guys, get your answers in, please. 0491 Well, David just texted us in from West Australia to say that in 2018, he and his wife went to Fiji on holiday. And there the people speak village Fijian, international mm-hmm. Fijian, and English. Okay. And I would say they speak a bit of um, Hindi over there as well, don't they, in Fiji? Mm. Would have thought. But anyway. Um, also, those in the tourist industry learn a few more different languages. Mm, yeah, so right. languages is just awesome. They uh, make our world so much more interesting. Mm. Okay, so back to the story of Job. We need to get on to the story of Job because we've got this situation where he's lost everything mm-hmm. and he has no idea why. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, He's basically sitting in a pile of ash because ash is nice and soft to sit in and he's covered in boils, Mm. sores (sighs) all over his body and so it's really painful to sit down anywhere. And so sitting in a pile of ash, the other thing, of course, sitting in a pile of ash is that it is probably the best thing that you can do for boils because charcoal will draw the poisons out. So it's it's a good thing. It's a good place to sit. Yeah. Particularly if you're covered in from Ted. It's like he's taking a charcoal bath. This is sending shivers down my spine though. Uh huh, and of course he's got some really good friends, mm. as you would. You're a wealthy guy. You, you're going to be a sociable person, and his mates all turn up. And these are probably wealthy guys as well, because wealthy people often hang out with wealthy people. We don't know. They could be peasants. We don't know, but we assume that they're wealthy people. They turn up, and they're just horrified by his situation. And they're so horrified that initially they just can't say anything. But eventually, as it continues and continues and continues, you know, being men, they're like, we have to find a solution here. Mm. We have to solve this. And very, very clearly, this is a result of uh, supernatural events. Mm. And so they're like, well, clearly you've done something wrong Mm. and God has done this. Mm. And Job's like, like what? You know. I love God. I serve God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. I've searched my conscience. Mm. Uh, wh- where, have I, where have I gone astray here? Mm. And so this, this then becomes a discussion which takes place, a fascinating discussion. It takes place over about 38 chapters. Wow. So it's a very significant discussion where they all, you know, put you know, his, his three friends all put their, their 10 cents in. Um, and then there's this young kid who turns up and he just sort of lets loose. And uh, they all have this idea that 
Job, this is happening to you because of your sin. Mm. And after they've had this discussion, it's a very deep discussion, it's a very uh, theologically dense discussion. These are extremely intelligent people uh, who have gathered together, which is why I think they were kind of wealthy like Job was as well, because they're very, very intelligent people. Mm. And they're having this discussion backwards and forwards, and then, and, and God doesn't say anything. God just lets them talk. And they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and then eventually God steps in. Mm. And it's interesting how God approaches this. Let's go to Job uh, chapter 38. Yes. And uh, verse 2. The Bible says, well, verse 1, it says, The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Wow. So he is dealing with, <laughs> and, and I mean, seriously, you read through those early chapters of Job. Uh-huh. These are clearly very, very intelligent people. Mm-hmm. Very intelligent. Intelligent, spiritual. Yes. They love God. They serve God. All of that. These are people who just don't have the answers. Mm. And this is where God comes in and says, yeah, who's this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Mm. You guys have been having this talk fest here for a while. You've been pretending like you know the answers. Mm. Okay, so if you know all of these answers, then let me toss out a few questions. (laughs) Let me see how many of these ones you can answer. Dude, in verse 3, like my my translation says this so well. It says, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then in verse 4. And then verse 4 he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question that every evolutionist needs to be asked right here. Mm. Where were you when it happened? Mm. You are so certain that it took all of these millions and billions of years. Mm-hmm. Were you an eyewitness to any of that? No, you were not. Wow. This is not something that was ever observed. And so God comes out with probably the most fundamental question that can be asked right here mm-hmm. about our origins. Mm-hmm. You know, because these are the biggest questions there are. Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? Mm. Not only our origins, yeah, but like as you said, who are we? Where like our reality, our nature. That's where God begins. Why, why, like, but That's where yeah, God starts. The credentials to give him the reasons for why he can impart knowledge over all these other people is like, were you there when I created the world? Like, we're talking about Job's life, how he lives in this world that has treated him so badly and all of these different circumstances have come together. But do you even know how the world was created? Were you there when I did it? Like... It's it's really cool. Did you see that happen? Yeah. You know, do you have do you have uh, scientific evidence of how I did that? Uh, and I just did, lo- you, did you observe it? I just love how before this he just precedes this by saying like, brace yourself like a man. I've got some questions for you guys. Like this will sort you guys out. Like if you really are who you say you are, and you really think you've got this down. Well, I got to, and and off the bat, like first go off the rip. It's like oh yikes. Like God is, God is really getting into us here. But he continues on in verse five. It says, who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Where were you 
That's right. You, you're not observer of any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, the, the origins of why are you here, where did you come from, you weren't there. You don't know. This is a big question. We've got a couple of text messages coming through here. Uh-huh. Uh, good morning and blessings. I think it doesn't matter what part of the timeline we are on. It all comes down to worship, the first angel's message, Revelation 14, 6 through 12, and mm-hmm. then quotes that particular passage there, which is uh, from Wayne. And, uh, you know, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made mm-hmm. heaven, earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and then Braden says, I love Job's response to his comforters in chapter 16 and verse 2 and onwards where he says, Miserable comforters you are. <laughs> He's like, wow, thanks, guys. Yeah, like, you're really was, making me feel better about my situation. That was here. not helpful at all. <laughs> uh, we need to spend so much more time on this particular Bible study. We're going to have to pick it up again tomorrow because it's just so epic. God asks Job 60 questions in rapid fire. He mm. just starts smashing them out because he's asking questions, 60 questions here that there is no possibility of Job ever answering. He's like, you think you got this figured out? You well, think you're so smart? Try this. And God reveals that, yeah, Job is just seeing a very, very small picture. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. It's come time to have some answers for our quiz. Let's see how well you did this morning in answering the questions. All right, Jesus told Nathaniel he had seen him under a fig tree. Complete the verse. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, the next one, the book of Revelation describes the second death as the death as death and hell, sorry. Uh, the, yeah, Revelation describes the second death as death and hell being cast into the lake of fire. Uh, the next one, no scripture according to Second Peter chapter one came because of the prophet's own what? That was interpretation. And finally, why was David originally sent for by King Saul to provide, uh, King Saul, you know, some music? so that he could overcome his stressful and, yeah, spiritual struggles. But, hey, right now it is time for... Question of the Day. Right, Lyle, our question of the day is simply this. Does believing in the sleep of the dead make a religion a cult? Yeah, so this is a really interesting question from a number of different perspectives. And first of all, you've got to stop and ask yourself, what is the definition of a cult? Mm. And there are a couple of different definitions. So you've got the traditional definition, you've got a modern definition. So we'll start with the modern definition. And this is the uh, modern pejorative definition. So this is when the word cult is used in a pejorative manner. In other words, to indicate that this is something that is negative. Uh, of course, the, the the historical traditional use of the word cult doesn't denote anything as being, you know, negative or positive or otherwise. It just denotes a religious practice. So there is no agreed on definition as to what a cult is in the pejorative definition. But a cult is a social. This is one definition that's probably as good as you'll find anywhere. A social. A cult is a social group that is defined by its novel, religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs and rituals, or its common interest in a particular personality, object, or goal. Uh, Typically, a derived sense of excessive devotion to a particular figure and uh, sometimes socially deviant practices. And so none of this actually has anything to do with theology, apart from the fact that it might not be the mainstream theology. So the issue is not so much theology 
as it is being out of sync with society and excessively devoted to a particular figure. These are probably some of the the standout um, the, the standout themes that you're going to find. You know, whenever you hear on the news in the media, you know, information about a particular cult, there's going to be uh, excessive devotion to the individual who is the leader of that cult. And so that's kind of what you're looking for when you're looking for a definition of a cult. Mm. Um, traditionally, of course, the definition is simply, uh, in the older sense of the word, it involves a set of religious and devotional practices that are conventional within their culture, are related to a particular figure and often associated with a particular place. So references to the cult of a particular Roman Catholic saint, for instance, is not saying that that is something that is negative. It just means that in that particular location, they really liked this particular saint. Um, you can talk about the imperial cult of Rome. And you'll often hear archaeologists, when they are excavating, they will find things that are cultic artifacts. And a cultic artifact is, you know, it might be pagan, it might be Christian, it might be uh, Islamic, it might be anything that is religious is going to be a cultic artifact and evidence of certain cultic practices, it doesn't, is not used in the pejorative sense and it doesn't mean that these are going to be you know, excessive devotion to an individual and socially deviant practices, any mm. of those kind of things. Okay, so that's got nothing to do with the, uh, the sleep of you know, believing that the soul sleeps at death. The question really here then is, well, what does the Bible say about this? And the Bible has a multitude of things to say about it. Go to John chapter 11 and read what read the story there in John chapter 11 where Jesus very, very clearly says that after Lazarus has died, he says he's sleeping. Mm. Go to uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You're going to find this theme over and over and over and over and over through the Bible. Mm. Uh, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, that um, there will be the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. Mm. Um, all those that are in the graves shall hear his voice. The Bible says that they are in the graves. Well, what are they doing in the graves? Obviously, they are sleeping in the graves waiting for the resurrection. That's where the That's Bible right. says the dead will be when Jesus comes back. And so this is a theme that runs from one end of the Bible to the other. You can find literally a multitude of verses that speak about uh, the dead person being a person being in the state of sleep while they are dead. There's not a single verse that speaks of the immortality of the soul, even though the soul and the spirit are mentioned over 1,700 times. Not one single verse. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that brings us to the end of our show. And a couple of last text messages just sneaking through in time. Wayne says, through all our times of trouble, there is always some someone who is worse off than you. The Bible has plenty of these examples like that. Job and most importantly, Jesus. So we have to look to them to get through our troubles. Our troubles are nothing compared to them. Well done, Wayne. That can be text message of the day today. And then Raphael says, I've met many miserable comforters. You know your true friends when you are down and out. All right, so uh, absolutely, we have some uh, some good messages right there. I just want to give a quick shout-out to my friend Jose, currently listening all the way in Arkansas. Yeah, so go, Jose. In the United States, shout-out him. He was sending me some messages during the show. I was like, whoa, look at this guy go. But, oh, really awesome stuff. Don't oh, hey to guys, remember to talk, talk faith, faith, live faith, act faith, and you'll grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. 
For being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1 800 Faith FM.